Hello, it's Jamie here, and welcome back to Bloody Bites. And no, I'm not talking about Tom's marmalade recipes. You'll have to check our Crazy Cults podcast for that, because today's topic is guillotine, a cut above. See what I've done there? Even if you don't, you might remember the words or at least the thoughts of Sidney Carton in Charles Dickens's A Tale of Two Cities when he stood before the guillotine, before the scaffold, and thought, it is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest that I go to than I have ever been. And they're deeply poignant because what they summarize really is the horror of the French Revolution, of the terror, and the sort of pageant that surrounded it. And it was deeply macabre. There were the tumbrils, there were the tricoteurs, those old women who knitted as they watched the heads rolled. And there was that structure of the guillotine. And that shape, that silhouette, has cast a long shadow down the centuries. It was about 14 foot high. It averaged a blade of 88 pounds. It weighed just over 1,200 pounds itself. And it struck terror. It was part of the terror of that French Revolution. And its history was long. The, the first victim of the guillotine was 1792, and that was a highwayman who was guillotined in front of the French, the Paris Citadel. And that was a guy called Nicolas Peltier. And years later, 1977, you had the last person guillotined in France, and that was a guy called Hamadai Jan Duby, and he was a rapist and murderer and torturer. So it had a long history, and its victims were many, because it wasn't used just in France. It was used in some surprising countries, whether it was Sweden or Switzerland or Belgium or Greece, or South Vietnam. It spread across the world, and the French colonies, of course. So it was used around the world in different locations. So talk about a bit of French culture uh, spreading. And it took a lot of lives. If you look at the French Revolution, the number of people killed during that time by the guillotine was about 16,500 during the terror. On Christmas Day alone in 1793, you had 247 people beheaded by guillotine in Paris. So it had a terrible reputation, uh, and its reputation stands to this day. But its development was a strange one because it was produced by Joseph, Dr. Joseph Guillotine. In 1789, he presented his idea to the National Assembly because he said, you know, we in France uh, kill people in too brutal a fashion. We need something cleaner and more efficient because at the time the French broke people over the wheel, which was a medieval means of just breaking limbs uh, after someone had been strapped to a wheel, uh, usually a sort of cartwheel. It, it was pretty desperate. So he proposed it, and it was accepted, and it was constructed uh, with the advice of French surgeons and put together by a German engineer. And as I said, it was first deployed in 1792. 
but it came into its own during the terror. But other devices had been seen you know, during the previous years. I mean, in the 16th century, the Scots, of course, had the Maiden, and that was used until 1708. It uh, was deployed and became a public spectacle in Scotland. And it had two had a blade, it was controlled by weights, uh, a, a peg was pulled out and the blade was ascended. It was a squared off blade. So it was an axe blade, really, that came down. And if someone was a horse thief, quite often the horse was tied to the peg and then whipped and galloped away. So the horse, in effect, became the executioner. There was another device called the Halifax gibbet, and that too, like the maiden in Scotland, uh, was used in the 16th century and was a very popular thing. And public executions were the norm. They were great public events. And so what Joseph Guillotin came up with in France was nothing really new. He simply sort of perfected, he honed the idea. And so it became established in France as the executioner's weapon of choice, instrument of choice. And during the French Revolution, about 16,600 people were executed. The terror was particularly blooded, bloody. But later on, you got equally unpleasant situations with the guillotine. In 1905, a Dr. Bovier uh, wrote an eyewitness account of what had happened at one guillotining where the head came off the criminal and he had actually called to the head and the eyes of the head opened, the eyes of the prisoner opened and then closed again. And so Bovier called out again and again the head uh, responded, the eyes opened and the prisoner's decapitated head stared at the Bovier um, with a sort of fixed stare and he was absolutely appalled by this. But that caused a great deal of comment at the time. And during the French Revolution, the, the range of victims was vast. The youngest was about 14, the oldest was 92. And anyone could be guillotined. I knew peasants, aristocrats, the bourgeoisie, and those who had been denounced uh, because of the revolutionary tribunal and the law of suspects and the disbandment, the dissolution of the constitution. There was a lot of denunciation. You weren't allowed a defense. And so you could simply be arbitrarily uh, sentenced to the guillotine. And that's what happened. But the guillotine reappeared uh, under another regime and, oddly enough, uh, created almost the same number of victims, about 16,500. And that was under the Nazis because from 1933 it became the main Nazi means of state execution. The chief Nazi executioner was Johann Reichardt. And he was a strange little man dressed formally in top hat and white gloves. And he had a reputation for getting prisoners uh, from their cells, the important ones, and telling bad jokes as he took them down to the execution room. He actually got rid of the tilting board on the German uh, guillotine. He 
also got rid of the blindfold. And he, he believed that he could actually get prison executed between three to four seconds. And the Germans were extremely efficient. They are extremely efficient, as we know. And although they had taken the French guillotine of 1872, the, that particular model, they had refined it. They had lowered the uprights. They had made the guillotine of steel. It was only about eight to 10 feet high. There were portable versions that went round the prisons. Reichardt himself was responsible for execution area eight, which included Munich. He, on one occasion, managed to execute up to 100 people in a day. And people were backed through curtains onto it because guess what? They didn't face downwards in the Nazi execution chamber. They faced upwards. And once the guillotine was ready, the screen was pulled back um, and the executioner's assistant put his hand over the eyes of the unblindfolded victim and the blade came down. And that's what Reichardt's speciality was. After the war, he ended up being ordered by the Allies to execute Nazi war criminals, and that drove him insane. So, in a way, that was just rewards. But he was a most unpleasant little man and a somewhat crazed little man. But the Nazis got through a lot of people. And in the last year of the war, in the 44 to 45, that's when they did most of their decapitations. They decapitated with the guillotine 10,000 prisoners. They were basically clearing the decks before the end of the war. And a lot of people died. So it was basically um, making sure that all the political prisoners they had uh, were got rid of and exterminated and disappeared before the Germans, the Nazis, lost the war. So it was pretty grim. But even after the war, the guillotine didn't lose its place because in places like Algeria, it was still being employed. And the chief French executioner in Algeria was a guy called Massonnier. He managed to kill 200 people between 1947 and the early 1960s. And his family went all the way back uh, to the 16th century. They'd been executioners for several hundred years. So they were employed through generations. Um, talk about a specialist skill. Uh, I wonder what they're doing today. They're probably butchers. Anyway, that really is the story of the guillotine and the bloody sway that cut through history. And come the 21st century, there were still guillotines in use because back in Algeria, the égorgeurs, the throat slitters, the Muslim fundamentalists were going around with pickup trucks with guess what on the back, uh, portable guillotines and beheading uh, local heads of villages and those that they thought were against them. So even in modern times, it's an instrument just, not just of uh, execution, but a symbol of terror as well. And that reaches right back to 1792 when it was first used. And yes, it can be a clean way of execution. I mean, just remember that when people were beheaded with an axe, you got terrible situations like the 
decapitation of Mary, Queen of Scots in 1587 at Gay Castle when it took three blows to get her head off and the first axe blow ended up stuck in her head. So it can be a clean and efficient way of execution, but it is also one of supreme terror and a symbol of all that can go wrong when the state has too much power. Goodbye. It's time to bring the blade down on this episode of Bloody Bites. Hope you enjoyed it. So it goes. My name is Tom Ashton. His name is James Jackson. Please subscribe, it's free, to our podcast on the app you use and to our mailing list via our website. This is very important as it boosts our rankings in the podcast charts. Thank you and good luck.